The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mysteries of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. Registration for the Numinous School only happens once a year each spring. I'll tell you how to find out more about that after the interview. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today I'm speaking with Stephanie Papik. Stephanie is an Indigenous Inuit woman, an experienced facilitator and program manager, the current Director of Indigenous Relations and Stakeholder Engagement for a Division of the Government of British Columbia, as well as a celebrated fiber artist and entrepreneur. What probably strikes many people upon first meeting Stephanie, second after her big warm smile, are her beautiful facial tattoos. I was so pleased she agreed to come on the show and talk about what these tattoos mean to her and to her Inuit culture. I connected with Stephanie online. She was at home in Victoria, BC. So Stephanie, what identities do you lead with? Hmm, That's such an interesting question. I think something that 10 years ago, I would probably give a completely different answer. (laughs) So I think currently the identities I lead with are both my ancestry of being Inuit on my dad's side from my ancestors are Inupiat from Alaska area, as well as from the Mackenzie Delta, so Inuvaluit. And then a, another big influence in my life is also my uh, heritage and ancestry through through my mom's side. And, and that side, uh, uh, our ancestry is is Irish and our ancestors ended up uh, being transported to Australia and our we have relatives who are really interested in lineage and research and so we have some research of our ancestors going back to the 1700s and all throughout those ages up until now um, a predominant theme around chemists and uh, doctors so the medical profession which is quite interesting and uh, those those lineages as you as I learn about them and then they start to make sense with things like oh I always used to draw Celtic rings or or oh that's ironic because like the sight of blood makes me (laughs) actually have a faint response (laughs) so yeah, so those those really shaped me, and a big part too is is my Inuit ancestry in terms of how it's guiding me in my day to day practice about reclaiming ancestral knowledge and practices that had been intentionally kind of interrupted and being passed on within within my lineage. So that's a, a big piece. And also that exploration of Celtic ancestry too, and it's been really neat to find the synergies of there's so much um, overlap and interconnection between uh, Inuit ways of of being in Celtic, which has been really uh, exciting to to find those common threads. Mm -hmm. 
also my identity is as a, a mama. I have two amazing kids. My oldest is 19 and my youngest is 17. And um, they, they shape a lot of who I am today too. Yeah, I think those, those are kind of some, I mean, identity these days for me is so complex. I could probably uh, go on for quite a while because I have a, a diverse background. You know, like when people look at me, I'm, I know they, they think certain things about my identity that are often like completely out in left field. <laughs> so, it's an interesting topic because people yeah they'll you know they'll assume I'm when I'm out with my son they'll assume he's about seven years older than he is and they'll assume I'm about 20 years younger than I am <laughs> and then I've even sometimes thought that we're a couple <laughs> he's older than me I'm like I don't know <laughs> other way all around <laughs> like, oh, that's so funny yes you mentioned yeah when people look at you they may um have some wholesale assumptions and uh you have a very striking appearance in part because you have beautiful facial tattooing could you describe for the listeners what it is that people would see when they look at you Hmm. I think they see, well, actually some Canadians now will ask me like, Oh, are you Inuit? Like they, they know that uh, having a, a, like a kind of like a V shape on, on your forehead is something that Inuit women um, have. And back in the day, all Inuit women would have this V shape on their head and the, be varying degrees and how far down the the tip of the V goes between your eyes and, and further down and it's apparently more painful if you go further down and it, sh it, it show, shows even more kind of that tolerance for pain and forbearance I guess uh, that value of forbearance yeah so so some people know others uh well they you know they're like oh is that that uh, real or permanent um, and uh, yeah so it usually invites uh, a lot more people will reach out and, and talk to me also I've had the opportunity of meeting a lot more Inuit uh, as a result because you know they rec recognize that so, so they'll come up and say hi I'm also Inuit oh neat <laughs> and do you also have some little dots on your cheeks as well are those Inuit or something you've created yes yeah they're Inuit as well and these are more uh, regional kind of variations so actually where I'm from for a new valuate instead of little four little kind of discrete dots along the cheekbone it would be uh connecting those dots so a full lines and two or three coming uh kind of starting at one point at the on your cheekbones and then fanning outwards towards your ears and um those felt a little bit even more bold than <laughs> so the the dots are a little bit more discreet and mm. also um well, as anyway, our nation is spans 
Russia, Alaska, Canada, Greenland. So like the, the top of, of the world is kind of our nation area. And there was a summer where I spent, um, four months in a Kaluit. So that's this area where the dots come from is a Kaluit area. Mm. I spent about four months there with my husband, um, my previous husband, and he was learning carving. And so they, and he's Dene, M-A-T ancestry. And they were, he was part of of an indigenous carving where they were learning how to carve with granite because that's what's Mm. most available. And so we were there for the four months and he carved this life-size statue of a Denny man with the Inuit woman and her, her little baby on her, on her back in her mouthy. So uh, I've always had, since then, had this, you know, strong connection to, to the land there. So hmm. uh, it's honoring, honoring that time there, I guess. Yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. It's fascinating to learn about the different regional variations. So would you be willing to share a bit about um, how you decided to get your facial tattoo and why this particular design? What does it signify to you? Yeah, sure. Um, and with that, I think I'll start with that before answering that piece is the last tattoo is actually the ones I don't have. I mean, the very first ones you normally get are the ones that I don't have at all. And they're the, the lines that are under your chin. And from my understanding, you, your first tattoo is when you have your first, your first moon time. Mm. And then the other ones are for things like when you ha- when you learn the ability to light the stone lamp or the killick when you have when you learn the ability to keep your own home Mm. those kinds of things is my understanding um yeah so that's those ones that i have yet to have yet um and i'll tell that i guess as part of the story so i guess it it first started um i used to run the aboriginal youth internship program for the province of bc for six and a half years and in the second year i was the program lead an alumni called me she was working back for one of the ministries and was doing some research to honor Inuvalut youth who were aging out of care so she knew I was Inuvalut so she called me and said you know what what are some age aging out of you know uh, coming of age ceremonies for your culture and I was like well that's a good question I better call my achung <laughs> <laughs> Is that your grandma? Yeah, my great auntie. Yeah. Okay. So I called my Achung, my great auntie, Emma, and said, you know, told her what was happening. And she said, oh, well, your grandma used to have face tattoos. And I was like, what? <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> and so that kind of started the journey of kind of first even learning that we had face tattoos. And then a good friend and mentor of mine, Eloise Spitzer, said, oh, there's this amazing documentary uh, on Inuit tattoos called Tuni, uh, retracing lines of uh, Inuit tattoos. And so she lent me the, the documentary. So the documentary is about 45 minutes long, and it was created by Alethea Arnick Burrell. And she spent years traveling the North interviewing elders and talking about Inuit tattoos. 
and the documentary is filming that journey and it's also filming her own experience of being tattooed and also the experience of how she was received by both of her parents her mom being Inuit and her her dad being um, of uh, European ancestry and the whole documentary I just had tears <laughs> and it was like uh, these were soul holes in my soul that I didn't know I had and it's funny because uh, it was maybe only about a month earlier my eldest had tattooed himself on his inside of his wrist and I was like oh visible tattoos <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, know you have to think about your life and your career <laughs> and I went I did a complete switch like a month later after that <laughs> I went to documentary documentary to well I'm getting my face tattooed <laughs> <laughs> did he think it was awesome or was he like how did he react when you told him you were having this oh, idea yeah. he thought it was he thought it was great yeah yeah and so I initially uh, I also have them on my hands and my wrists and initially I just did uh, uh, henna on my wrists just to see you know what it would be like and then I contacted the fellow in the documentary uh, Mike Austin and and emailed him and said you know I've seen this and uh, Alethea recommended him like not many people do face tattoos and so he's like, yep, come, come on over. And he just happened to live in my husband's parents' hometown of London, Ontario. So it worked out great. I flew the red eye. They picked me up in the morning. We went into a, a tattoo parlor. I gave him my drawings. And uh, went. then we left and I slept <laughs> until the next day. And I showed up and he had it all ready to to do my hands and then and my my face and uh yes yeah, so that was very serendipitous and also during that that session um he had been part of an initiative where he worked with the Inuit man and they traveled around the north interviewing elders about all the the creatures that are in our stories like Sedna and the giants and all these amazing Sedna the underwater goddess right Yes, oh. yes. And so his job was the artist. So he, the, um, he would listen to them and do like a police composite drawing and be like, so did she look like this? And they'd be like, hmm, a little bit scarier. And so make her look a little scarier or something. And, and so during the session, the door, doorbell rang and there was someone at the door they were bringing that book to him and left it for him to sign and so all of a sudden during the session I was flipping through this book and there's all these images of Inuit women with their own tattoos and I was just like okay you know this is really I'm on the right path <laughs> yeah yeah 
And in terms of the ones that I got, um, that was kind of a, my mom, I mentioned she grew, I think I mentioned she grew up in Australia and I guess down under there's a lot of stigma around tattoos and prison and that kind of thing. So it was a very hard journey for my mom and I, um, for her to accept me. Um, and she did eventually. <laughs> uh, but so I think for that reason, I didn't do the ones on the chin. Um, I did the forehead one and the dots because they're a little bit more discreet. And also the, the teaching of, of the one on my forehead is about this loon and a grandmother and she has two grandmother grand grandchildren and Alethea has this beautiful uh, um not a cartoon but a um animation an animation of the story mm. and uh it's basically a tale about a a cautionary tale of, of vengeance and that re reminder about the importance of forgiveness. So, and that's been a, a big theme I've carried in my life at times, like after my, my divorce with my first husband, I carried the virtues card forgiveness in the front of my daytimer for a year because I believed if I were to be able to move on I would have to forgive myself and him mm. to, to be able to continue on with other relationships mm -hmm. so that's been and then when I think about you know if everyone had every woman had this and that's what everybody saw reflected every day that gentle reminder to forgive ourselves and each other um, how powerful that is mm. right mm. Yes, absolutely. I'm curious how you would feel, though, if other women started getting facial tattoos, and I'm thinking specifically of non-Indigenous women, like, you know, if I said, oh, well, I have, you know, um, Pictish, you know, Scottish ancestry, they're known for tattoos all over, or if, if, you know, somebody with Scandinavian heritage got a Norse tattoo or something on their face. It's not like these cultures, you know, European ancestor people have survived genocide in the same way that indigenous folks have. And this is a cultural practice that's so much about reclamation and survivorship. So how, how, do, how would that sit with you if other folks started getting facial tattoos? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's one that's come up. And I, you know, I try to be open to to different perspectives, and not so. And some of them, I mean, one one perspective I've heard a lot is, you know, we've so much has been taken away from us that um, to not want to share that, you know, and to keep that as something that's for Inuit. And that I totally understand and, and get. And then, and then the bigger picture of if those teachings were uh, embodied and practiced by each of those people who have, have that 
symbol on their forehead, maybe we would be in a better place than we are today. Mm-hmm. And that's something that what I really appreciate about reclaiming Inuit culture is a big thing is around sharing. Um, sharing food, resources, knowledge. Um, uh, and and just, uh, you know, a big part of back in the day, like, you needed to be together to survive. It's so harsh out there. If anyone's ever been to Anubic or even Yellowknife in the winter, it's like... <laughs> Oh my gosh, I wouldn't survive out here very long, right? <laughs> so to be ostracized from your from your family or community, you you would die. And so the way that what I've learned and what I understand about Inuit culture is so much of everything we did intertwined mental health, um, wellness of the whole. You know, like if somebody did something out of line, it's very much aligned with nonviolent communication. So like in the morning is when we would all sit and eat breakfast together. Everyone would sit together and eat breakfast. And that's when a leader would, would um, speak to everyone and they wouldn't be like, you know, so-and-so you were terrible yesterday and you hurt so-and-so's feelings it would be a you know a reminder that uh that in or you know we need to we need to uh be patient with each other as well as with ourselves and and have practice that self-awareness and self-discipline so that we can you know, take care of, of each other in the whole. So some, you know, a gentle calling in mm-hmm. is, is my understanding of how. Or if there was conflict, do you do like kind of like it's like a, similar to like a, a modern rap battle, like you, you're dancing and singing and, and take turns making fun of each other until it breaks out in laughter because it's actually the least Inuit thing to do is to lose your cool. <laughs> and <laughs> Okay. So, you know, these kind of things, like, I love learning about and I love being able to share. And I think these are things, you know, in general, like, we're, you know, society, there's so much good right happening, but there's also so much not good right happening right now. And the more we can return to all of our ancestral practices, um, the better. So, you know, and that's one thing I've been taught is around kind of... Around cultural appropriation is that it's it's expressing that unmet need of their own of people's own connection to their ancestry. So that's often um, a response I've uh, been taught is to encourage folks to start to, you know, that's great. You're really fascinated with Inuit tattoos and perhaps you know that's the invitation to explore what your own culture's tattoo practices are because they seem pretty pretty common (laughs) it's a common (laughs) human thing they want to 
you know, jaw on our bodies. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of power there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Can you also just describe a little bit of what the tattoos on uh, your hands signify? I, I know you've told me a little bit about them before, but I can't quite remember. What, what do those different lines mean? Yeah, there's, I have ones that are kind of like, uh, triangles and those represent the flames for our stone lamp. I also have ones that represent the combs for our goddess of the sea. Um, and those come with teachings of uh, generosity and respect, respect for yourself and for others. And then markings for caribou and, and people. And, and then the caribou, I have lots of their, the symbols of those. And for me, that represents abundance and that gentle reminder to uh it's easy to kind of be in the mind scarcity mindset you know like there's not enough time not enough money not enough not enough not enough (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's um i find it's helpful to be more in that growth mindset so that reminder of abundance and you know stepping outside of nature and being silent and just connecting you can start to see how much abundance mother earth has out there so just that kind of gentle reminder to come back from that easy mindset to get caught up in the modern world (laughs) now i'm also curious because i've discovered through a mutual friend that you learned how to tattoo and i'm curious about your kind of ethos around that you know how did you decide that you wanted to learn how to tattoo how do you decide who you're going to tattoo or what symbols you're going to tattoo? Like, I'd love to know a little bit about how you're approaching that as a practitioner now of this cultural tradition. Hmm. That's a good question. Well, a part of the, you know, learning about Inuit tattoos was that women, women did them. And so I thought, well, if that's part of it, then that's part of it. So I guess I, you know, I have that opportunity to learn. And uh, I'm an urban Inuit. I'm not, you know, in Victoria, BC. So you have to, it's that kind of bicultural piece, right, from, uh of walking in two worlds. So there's the the piece of wanting to reclaim and then there's the piece of, okay, here I am in 2019 in Victoria. And I own a store along with my husband, Ryan, Naughty by Nature, Fiber Arts. And um, whenever there's things like this, he'll be like, oh, well, let me, you know, let me connect with customers. (laughs) And so our friends, through uh google goggles came in and and uh brought in their friend liz dempsey and and ryan was realized somehow it came up and he's like oh well you know my wife she's wanting to reclaim this practice and she'd like to learn how to do stick and poke and so liz really kindly just offered to to teach me how and so uh, we set up a time and and she tattooed my foot for me and showed me, you know, like she had it all set up and just kind of guided me through the process and told me, you know, where I could order things and, and that kind of stuff. And then offered ongoing support. 
to, you know, I could take, she gave me little kits. I could go home and practice and, uh, you know, told me I could check in, ask questions, draw pictures, things like that. And so, yeah, so Liz, Liz taught me how, and she didn't charge me anything except for just kind of the material costs of the little kit she gave me because she believed in what I was doing. And for me, I guess in terms of ethos, I I haven't been charging money for the tattoos. Um, basically, I've done trades and as well, some have just been gifts for people who've been in my life and who have already, you know, given me so much. Um, but, and they're typically, yeah. And then when you do, when, what, when you give an indigenous friend a tattoo, even as a gift, as, as a gift to them, it's just part of culture to give a gift back. So you end up, yeah. So we just trade, I guess. Um, yeah. And then in terms of the type, like I've had friends who did say like, oh, I love your, the lines on, of your neat tattoos and that I, would like something similar but I know I you know appropriation and stuff and so for what those ones I've used um some of the teachings I've received about um shamanic practices and and counting systems and and things like that so finding ways that um are meaningful to the to the other person and that, that maybe yeah aren't appropriating from uh, Inuit culture. Mm. Yeah, so I've, t um, anyone basically, I've, I always tell them, you know, like, okay, you're the ninth person I'm tattooing, and <laughs> I've done about 80 hours, so, you know, I'm not a master by any means, and it's going to be perfect, and just make, make sure you know that before actually. <laughs> you <laughs> but I've seen an image of of one I guess on Instagram that you did and uh I was saying to our mutual friend Tiffany how did she get the lines so straight like it really looked it's that that to me seems like the biggest pressure is getting things you know just really nice and even and parallel and precise and the thickness the same this this seems like incredibly demanding from a from a focus and um, precision perspective, is it not? Yeah, and I think well, you know, I have old eyes already because I'm wearing my transitional goggles. <laughs> but for that, I actually use uh, a light that has a giant magnifying glass. So. <laughs> I get to see really up close, which helps a lot with, with that. And then just practice, practice, right? Mm -hmm. Everything takes practice and just learning, learning by doing. And I did a lot of practicing on myself. First, I have ones, I don't know if you have seen there, but the birthing tattoos, which are on my thighs. Mm -hmm. And those I've probably spent a minimum 40 hours yeah. filling them in and, um, those ones are for when you first, when you give birth, the first thing that baby sees is great beauty when they come out. Oh, that's so yeah. nice. So would you get that when you were pregnant then? 
in preparation for the baby. It probably would also help you with pain tolerance, I would imagine. <laughs> Possibly. Those are things, you know, I'm still uh, lear learning about. So those are, those are good questions. And from the photos I've seen of Inuit women who were, they were covered in tattoos. So like, I was like, wow, you know, maybe they must have been tattooing almost on a daily basis. And mm -hmm. And recently I learned about how pain can be grounding. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting because in middle school kids, there's a high rate of, of self-harming mm -hmm. that happens. And I was like, oh my gosh, so they're trying to ground themselves, you know? And, and my ancestors must have been constantly grounding themselves too because they're covered in these. Yeah, <laughs> and we're all done by stick and poke or sewing, you know, no tattoo machines. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so do you aspire to one day get the ones on your chin? How would that happen? Or is it too late? Yeah, I think, you know, I think in the reclaiming piece, you know, my ethos is really about being flexible and meeting people where are on their journey. Like, um, even today, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, doing the, the lines for your first moon, moon time, I don't know if that, how that works in today's society. And maybe it works easier in, the, in communities where it's predominantly Inuit. Um, and those ones I had thought about, well, you know, perhaps I can do them after my last moon time. And... And even now that's been shifting. In fact, uh, a, a good friend of mine who's uh, from the Navajo Nation, I, you know, part of reclaiming is also sharing. So I've been sharing what I've been taught with other indigenous women. And uh, um, so I asked her, she's already doing really well. She's an artist. She's immediately just a great tattoo artist. I was like, I've been really thinking about the ones on my chin and would you help me? So it might be coming sooner than I had anticipated. I've just been really feeling feeling that calling to 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 do those ones. So mm. we'll mm. see. Stay mm. tuned. <laughs> Exciting. So I'm curious when you consider the future of these young people trying to ground themselves and particularly the the young folks who are living around the arctic circle in those countries you mentioned all the inuit i would imagine you you must also have a lot of pain you know you've done a lot of forgiveness work obviously and you are walking between the worlds but how do you cope with grief and rage when you think about the future of the arctic Hmm. Well, I know we've had some great leaders uh, be real advocates around climate change and um, our right to be able to hunt and, and what we're losing by not participating in a hunting culture. So Sheila Watt-Cloutier, she's, she's been a great, great advocate and an Inuit leader and she has a a really good book called the right to be cold and 
she talks about the impact of, of not being able to hunt. If you can imagine you're out and, and you are uh, seal hunting and there's a breathing hole in the ice and you have uh, something, a piece of bait or something you're holding and then a spear and you're kind of crouched down low, ready for when the seal comes up and oh I just you know I just scrape my nose but if that was the situation I wouldn't be able to just wipe my nose or think oh, I'm bored mm. uh, I don't feel like doing this anymore I'm cold or you know I'm sore from crouching or my arms are sore or it's like do either you do this or maybe your family doesn't eat tonight so those situations cultivate self-awareness, self-determination, self-discipline. And how it's showing up is uh, not having those situations that cultivate those behaviors. And it comes up as impulses. And it's showing up as, uh, as, as uh, high, highest rates of suicide. Um, so in terms for me, uh, you know, how I deal with grief and rage, a few different ways. <laughs> um, practice, practices of, I do a lot of yoga and breathing in my body, and I find that can help to release uh, where my body has stored grief. Uh, it'll just, like, come out, you know. <laughs> uh, that's one way. Another way, uh, on sat Saturday, um, I spent, I spent uh, doing time doing a Star Maiden wheel reading for myself, so walking the Star Maiden wheel. What? I don't know what that is. It's, uh, it's from the Twisted Hairs, and they, there was, in the 1400s, elders from across Turtle Island gathered and uh, created twisted hairs if you imagine every hair is different cultures and they're all coming together and it's a way there's many ways to walk the medicine wheel so this is one way of walking the medicine wheel and it explores the relationship the light and the dark walk of the wheel between yourself your emotional stories your triggers allies and guides uh, how you show up in the physical world how it relates to your relationship with creator uh, how it relates to false image makers that you might be echoing as well as that how that connects to your your world beliefs and in the way that you organize your energy and also what you envision for yourself and the dark walk of that is um, bringing light to any illusions you might be holding up so as the oldest daughter I you know I was the good kid I never did anything wrong and I made sure my parents never heard about me doing anything bad because I was the good one <laughs> so you know and that takes energy to to maintain these <laughs> false solutions so yeah so it's just a way of of bringing awareness self-reflection and and um, about yourself Mm. Yeah, and as well, teachings about, you know, how you insight into how you're walking into situations, awareness to what you're focusing on and 
um, and where you can be in your power in that process, in that, in that journey too. Hmm. Yeah. So that's another, and then dancing and in, you know, we danced, we danced all the time. We danced like as a way if people were worried about a shaman, shaman would dance if they were worried about, you know, their loved one not coming home from a hunt yet, they would dance or they, you know, so many reasons to dance. And so, uh, and I love to dance too. And that's a really good way for me to release as well is, is to dance. So what do you dance to? Well, a couple of things uh, on Sundays, just actually right behind our home is the dance temple and they gather on Sundays from 1030 till noon and it's, it's a space where people don't talk and, um, and then you have a begin with intention and grounding and connection and then, and then the music kind of uh, slowly builds and it gets like very very energetic and then slows down again and then they have a, a closing circle so I'll often do that or we'll just go out dancing to, um, as well and yeah yeah wow very cool well this has been a conversation I've wanted to have for a long time I, I, I think my husband and I were we went into your shop when it was still down in Chinatown so how long ago was that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then um, when we left, of course, my husband and I, actually, I don't even think we left the shop. We were still in the shop looking at a book, I think. And I was like, I cannot stop looking at her tattoos. And he's like, I know, they're so beautiful. I'm like, she's so beautiful. And then we just like, we were like, okay, we have to leave now. And, <laughs> and, and then, you know, you, you, you're, you're at different markets and your shop has moved a few times. And we went through a big needle felting phase and stuff like that. So we were in your shop a few times. But uh, we often talk about um my husband in particular talks about uh what's the what what was the they 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 found a preserved like neolithic skeleton i think they called it like otzi the Iceman or something like that and he they discovered he'd been killed he'd been murdered because he had a wound in his back but he also had these little dots at different parts on his uh, fingers and and that sort of and knees i think and uh, over time they realized oh it was tattooing kind of like acupuncture mm -hmm. or or perhaps a shamanic kind of idea of like oh I have pain in my hand and so I get a tattoo here to you know bring in I don't know some healing or some life force energy and my husband has a little bit of an arthritic hand and and I think is like seriously trying to figure out how can I get more tattoos and <laughs> visible tattoos and, it's, and he uses arthritis as a good excuse so thank you for uh, generously sharing. I've, I've wanted to ask these questions for a long time. I really appreciate you sharing it with the, the, the whole world, really. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me as a guest on, on your show and also for the other times that you've invited me into other amazing work that you do in the world. Yeah. What a beautiful human, right? To find out more about Inuit tattoos and to check out the links to the resources that Stephanie so generously mentioned in this episode, as well as uh, find the links to follow Stephanie and her work as a fiber artist, go to the show notes under the podcast tab on my website, carmenspaniola.com. 
That's also where you'll find out more about the Numinous School of Intuition. Just click on the Courses link in the upper navigation. The Numinous School opens for registration on June 1st, but if you'd like a payment plan, you'll need to get on my email list in March. That's when payment plans begin. There's no extra charge for that, but you do have to get on my email list so you see that um, offer for the payment plan in an email sent out in March. I would like to thank so much any listeners up in Iqaluit in Nunavut. I, I know that there are some in northern Canada. I don't know if you're specifically in Iqaluit, but uh, I do want to thank all the folks who are up close to the Arctic Circle who are listening. Kanuipit! I think that's the best I can do. Kanuipit! That means what's up in Inuktitut. <laughs> Finally, let's talk about Quest. Ruben and I are leading Quest this year from June 24th to July 6th, 2019. It's a 12-day rite of passage, and that includes four days and nights fasting solo in the wilderness. Sound intriguing? It's not everybody's cup of tea, but if it made you sit up and take note, you may want to heed the inner call. Gather with us and Elder Norman Ritaskett of the Shuswap Nation, Rancher Charlie Coldwell, he's been up there three generations, 125 years on his ranch and his beautiful herd of horses. We'll share meals and songs and adventures, but most importantly, we'll do soul craft together. You and me and the mountain and the horses and the deer and the birds and the stars. And if you know that this isn't your year for quest, but you would like a taste of the experience for a fraction of the time and expense you might consider joining us for Vestalia, a women's summer solstice celebration happening at our Quest location in the Caribou Chilcotin region of BC, and that's happening June 20th to 23rd. Yes, you'll still get to meet Elder Norman, and we'll be feasting and storytelling and singing and crafting and cooking, and you'll have a chance to do a mini solo ritual as you take your turn tending the sacred fire for a little while on your own, sometime in the middle of the night while the others sleep. Just you and the fire and stars and maybe my dog Mona. And you'll keep the flames alive until our sunrise solstice ceremony on the hill. Get all the details about Vestalia under the workshop tab and find out about Quest at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.